Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be looking at mainly verses 17 and 18 this morning. And uh, let's go ahead and stand together for in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to read verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. All right, let's go ahead and read together with me then. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this morning's message. Father, we do thank you again for your grace. And Lord, um, as we look at uh, this portion of Scripture this morning, Lord, I do ask that you would just stir our hearts. Lord, we need to hear from you this, this week and today. Lord, we need you in our life. And I just pray, God, as we look at these things, Lord, that you would bless. And God, just um, uh, help us to, to, to look for the things that are eternal, not just the things that are, that are temporary. And Lord, we do love you and we do thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. All right. So, by way of introduction, throughout this year, we have been learning all about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is all about. Uh, the last two months that we've been uh, learning about the realities of the kingdom, and pastor's been preaching through the Beatitudes and, and other important truths from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's made up of all born-again Christians. And when Jesus was teaching about that kingdom of God, uh, his disciples had a, a very difficult time understanding that. Uh, but they're not to blame, though. See, they're used to seeing the oppression that they were under. Uh, they lived with from the Romans. Uh, they, they had to deal with unfair taxes, uh, intimidation by soldiers doing whatever they wanted to do at the expense of the people. Uh, they had to deal with religious leaders who cared more about their own prestige and money in their pocket than leading their nation closer to God. And many other hardships that, that these disciples and the, the people uh, in that time were enduring. So when Jesus began to preach about another kingdom, and one that was strikingly different than what they were living with, uh, man, people wanted that kingdom. I mean, it gave them hope. It gave them uh, uh, something to look forward to, uh, rather than the oppression that they were under. Uh, I mean, they knew that the Old Testament spoke about a Messiah coming who would bring in this kingdom. And those who believed Jesus was the Messiah were waiting for Jesus to create that kingdom. Uh, this is why the triumphal entry um, is such a big event during the, the Passion Week. I mean, people were expecting Jesus to somehow come in and overthrow all the Romans, uh, get rid of their rule, and to start a new kingdom right there. That's what they were expecting. Uh, that's, when, that's why when he was coming in, they were throwing the palm trees, the palm leaves on the, uh, on the ground there in their clothes and, and crying out, Hosanna, because they, uh, they were expecting the king to come and and uh, to deliver them from the oppression that they were under. They were looking for something tangible, something material to follow and to believe in. But when Jesus didn't overthrow the Roman rule, it was sadly many of these same people who in just a few short days would be calling out, crucify Him, crucify Him. Even His own disciples did not understand and when Jesus was taken prisoner, they fled. Everything that they thought was going to happen didn't. See, we're used to living our life by what uh, we see in this world, whether it's with our eyes or our other senses. But a Christian is supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, especially in this physical world, which really is just temporary. And this morning, I want to, to see some things here that, we, that are seen. But we're also going to look at some things that are not seen. And uh, the first thing I want to, to share with you this, this morning is that creation reveals God. It actually does. The world around us reveals the unseen thing, which is God. And, and um, see, God wants, to know, wants you to know about Him. I'm thankful for that. 
He's not just up in heaven, you know, kind of uh, letting us do our own thing and, and you know, causing all the havoc that, that we are down here. But yet he actually wants to be personally involved in each one of our lives. You know, he, he's, he's, he desires that personal relationship with every person on the earth. And he has revealed his existence through his creation. Now hold your place in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be here, uh, come back uh, several times. But uh, we're going to look at some verses here. Turn with me to, to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20. It's, a, it's uh, two books to the left. You have Romans, then First and Second Corinthians. Look at chapter 1 and, and verse number 20. says here, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, which is us, um, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, he has, uh, through creation, he has revealed himself, so that way nobody is without excuse. And um, so, you know, when, when they stand before God in judgment, they're not going to have an excuse why they didn't believe in him. Why they didn't think he existed? Because he has revealed himself through creation. Uh, turn also with me to Psalm 19, verse number 1. This is, again, this is a very famous psalm. Psalms in the middle of your Bible there. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So in other words, when you look up at a, in the, the starry sky, I don't know about you, but and I'm going to kind of get ahead of myself here, but I look at, even when I was lost, I said, wow, that couldn't have just been an accident. You know, that couldn't have just happened. And um, the same thing with, with the firmament. God has created us. I mean, uh, look, Ireland has some beautiful landscape. I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and God designed that. Um, everything speaks throughout creation that there is a God. And um, this morning we're going to see here just a few things that, that creation reveals about himself. Some of the invisible things. First of all, it reveals the Godhead or the Trinity. See, there are so many things that are in threes. Uh, one of the Hebrew words for God is Elohim, which is a plural noun, yet it's normally represented by a singular pronoun, He. In Genesis 1-1 is the first example of the doctrine of the Trinity. Only one creator God, yet functioning as three divine persons. Uh, you know, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And so, um, when he, it is significant that his created universe is actually a tri-universe as well, with each distinct components. And Genesis 1.1 shows that right off the bat. Uh, it actually shows, in the beginning, we have time. Time is the essential part of the universe. Now, uh, he's just establishing time. Now, time really didn't get... Um, created until, chap or until day number four, when we had the sun and the moon for, for us to be able to, to govern our, uh, our days with. But God was establishing the, the, the thing of time. We also have heaven, which was space. You know, the space around us, He created space. And then also the earth, which was matter, comprising and pervading the whole universe. But there's a lot of things through creation that are in threes, that there's three of. Because God wants us to show and reveal that, look, He is a tripart being. Uh, and so we're going to look at some of these things. First of all, atoms. The basic building block of matter are designed with three parts, protons, neutrons, and electrons. That's what makes up all matter, is these atoms. And uh, it's just amazing that they're made up of three parts, the, the proton, the neutron, and electron. It's the, sm it's the smallest particle that can be called an atom. There's also the three stages of water. 
solid, liquid, and gas. That's the, that's the only three stages that there is. Um, you look at the, the, um, the compound of water. You know, water is, the, is essential for life to exist, isn't it? You know, I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, you know, they were always trying to, to uh, I remember NASA always trying to, to go to Mars and to figure out if there's, if there's water, you know, because look, you can't live without water. I mean, our bodies are made up uh, mostly of water. And so uh, water is essential. But the water compound, the molecule of water, is made up of three different molecules, or three different atoms. Um, it is made of uh, two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen. And so, um, forming the molecule of three parts. And so, God here is revealing that just as the atom is essential for all matter to exist, water is essential for all life to exist, it's showing that there's three, that there's a, there's a divine trinity uh, behind creation, and creation is revealing it. Uh, if you ever look at an egg, an egg is made up of three different parts, isn't it? You see the shell, the white, and the yolk. Time itself is also made in three different parts. You have the past, present, and future. Um, we have space of an area. You know, you, uh, you look at this, 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 you know, this hymnal here, you're trying to figure out, okay, what is the mass? What is the, the space that this book is containing? And you look, you have the height, the weight, and the length. You know, all these things, you know, we, we, we go through and we use these things every single day. We don't even realize it. But all of them tell us that, look, there is a creator that is um, a trinity. Now, sometimes the, the analogy isn't, uh, is not perfect all the times, but we can see the expressions of the trinity in these different elements of the universe. And perhaps it's no accident that the strongest, simple, two-dimension shape is that of a triangle. And we use that all the time as well. And so... Um, it's just really neat. If you, and these are just a few, really just a few examples of threes that God has created that we use almost every single day. We don't even realize it. Yet God is using these things to, to show that He is a triune being as well. Another thing that He shows us through creation is with salvation. Uh, now, a, a couple of years ago, I, I preached a message um, about being a new creature in Christ, about the butterfly. And um, when a butterfly, when it, again, this is also a, a triune illustration, because you have the larva, the chrysalis, and you have the adult. Um, but it shows how cre uh, salvation creates a completely new creation. Um, see, when that, that little butterfly goes into that uh, when he's in that little larva stage, and he becomes into that chrysalis stage, while he's in that cocoon, he is completely being changed into a completely new creature. Uh, I mean, even his DNA, what makes him what he is, is completely rewritten and made into a new creature. And so when God um, brings us under conviction, and we realize that we're a sinner, we need salvation, and we trust Christ uh, for that salvation, we immediately become a new creature. That, that, that salvation event, just like the Christalis event for the butterfly, completely changes us. Now, we may look a little you know, the same on the outside, but on the inside, we're a completely new creature. And when God looks down upon us, He sees a new creature in Christ. That's why he says, behold, all things, um, uh, I just forgot the verse. Anyway, um, and also, lastly here, we see the infin infiniteness of God. Again, I don't know about you, but um, sometimes we really don't appreciate some of the things that God has given to us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I love being able to see the stars. Now, here in Ireland, we don't get to see that very much because of all the clouds and all the rain. But, I mean, if you've ever been away from the city, away from all the lights, clear night sky, and just staring up and just seeing the vastness of the stars, it's spectacular. I mean, and imagine um, 
people throughout the ages, as they've looked up in that night sky, you know, and wondering, wow, what is up there? What is that? I mean, the vastness of just the stars and the, and the sky above us reveals that, Lord, that God is, there's an infinite about Him. You also look at the ocean depth. We still have not been able to get down to the deepest part of the ocean. I mean, we've tried, you know, there's, there's still, still places in, this, uh, in our oceans that we still cannot get to. We cannot get to the bottom. Um, and it's, it's amazing because uh, with all the pressure, as you get further and further down into the water, you can't survive it. And then that's why it was the cool thing is, is that, um, you know, our iniquities, when, when we become a, a born-again Christian, God says they're at the bottom of the sea. In other words, he's not bringing them up again. He's not, he's not going to go down there and, and, and bring them back to our record and say, well, you know what, I only forgave you a little bit, um, but, you know, I, I still don't like what you did. He's not like that. And the, 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 the fact that we still cannot even get through the bottom of the ocean, I mean, look, we haven't even gotten through the crust of our earth. I mean, people have tried. They have tried to dig down and dig down into the crust of our, of our planet, and they still have not succeeded in getting through the crust. Uh, it just shows that, that there's an infinite about God that He reveals about Himself through creation. Uh, there's other ways that God has revealed Himself to man, and I'm not going to, to, to blabber the point much longer. But as, me, as amazing as these things are, God doesn't want us to focus our lives upon analyzing them. They're there to show us that He exists, but they're not supposed to be our focus for our life. Instead, He wants us to analyze His book and to learn about Him more through there. See, creation shows us that there is a God. This book tells us how we can know God. There's a big difference there. And, and I'm so thankful that He has given us His Word, that we can know all about God. You know, that, that we have a, a greater understanding of who He is, and with that greater understanding is a greater responsibility. Um, and being able to, to just to, to have that relationship with Christ is an amazing thing. Um, but there's some unseen things that I want to also see that Paul wants us to focus on. And um, though God does give us some illustrations through His creation as revelations about Himself, there's still many things about God and eternity that are not revealed. And we won't understand it until we die or we're raptured. I mean, we, we know some bits about heaven. We know some bits about uh, what the future is going to uh, have uh, for this world. But we don't know every single detail. And some of those things we're not going to know until we one day stand there before Him. And we get to actually see heaven for ourselves. Um, you know, it's just amazing that uh, what we have to look forward to. But let's go back to Second um, Corinthians chapter four again. We're going to analyze these these uh, these verses here a little more in detail. Verse 17 says again, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, Paul is, is in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's um, talking about his ministry, what he's been through, what... Uh, the hardships that he has has gone through for the expense of Christ and the gospel's sake to reach people with uh, with salvation, and uh, you know he's undergone persecution, and even though those that were with him that they endured uh, just for the sake of sharing the gospel, and um, and so here he says for our light affliction, he said which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's saying all that we've gone through is just a light affliction. And in the end, though, it's going to work 
for an eternal weight, something that's going to have value um, at the end when he gets to glory. Now, there are some things that, that are not seen that I believe Paul would like us to, to look at, to, to, to focus our life upon, and uh, that are eternal. And the first one that I want to, to um, look at this, this morning is, first of all, the greatest one, and that is your soul and the value of it. Let's go to Matthew 16 real quick. Hold your place again here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Matthew chapter 16. See, most people do not realize that their soul will last for all of eternity somewhere. Now, most probably believe in a, a heaven or a paradise, somewhere where there's, there's got to be something better than, than the world that we're living in today. And they hope that, that they'd be able to get there somehow, someday. But because we cannot see this part of ourselves, we can't see our soul, and because we can't see that, most people don't really think about it until they are facing death. But here in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus also asks, in, his, in um, verse number 26, He actually also asks um, uh, the, the disciples around Him and the, the Pharisees that are, that are, that are listening and and. Um, and so he says here, he says, uh, for what is a man profited? What, what, what is he gaining? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus is saying, look, you could have the world's riches, and yet your soul still go and spend the rest of eternity in hell. He gives a clear presentation of that when you look at the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man had everything he wanted, servants, food, uh, whatever he desired, and yet he is spending his eternity, even to this day, burning in hell. He lost everything because he was focused on the temporary and not on the eternal, which was his soul. Whereas Lazarus, he may not have had the, the, the goods and the wealth of this world, but he had a faith in God that God said, you want. I'm not going to take that away from you. And so when Lazarus died, he went to Abraham's bosom or paradise and was there. And, and even Lazarus, or, you know, and when he was with uh, Abraham and them, uh, the, the rich man said, you know, can you send Lazarus over? Because the fire is, uh, I'm, I'm tormented. You know, I, I, my, my throat is, on, is parched. I can't, I just want to drip, just a, a drop of water. And um, Abraham told him, look, you can't. You can't cross the divide between you. The rich man lost everything. And Lazarus gained eternal life, gained eternity. The reason why Paul went all over the known world preaching the gospel was to reach people and to pluck them out of the fires of hell. See, he had a burden for not only just the Jews, I mean, he loved his people. His, his priority was that Jews would get saved. But he had a burden for the Gentiles as well. A burden for everybody. Because he knew that if they did not trust Christ as their Savior, they would spend that eternity in hell. Because he knew that that was also God's burden. That all men might be saved. God's burden is that people were, would trust Him as their Savior. I mean, Paul gave up a lot. I mean, he gave up a lofty career as a Pharisee and a student of the law. I mean, he was uh, taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He had a reputation. He could probably have done a, a lot with his life had he stayed the Pharisee and rejected Christ and said, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing my own way. He could have lived a very nice life for himself. But in the end of things, in the scope of things, it would have been of no value. He even says that his past life, he said he counts it as dung. He said it's worthless compared to what Christ has, has given and allowed him to do. See, Paul hated Christianity. He tried to destroy it by his own strength until he met Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Then his life changed. and He no longer was focused on things of this world that were temporary, but he was focused 
on eternal things. I mean, all the trials that he went through, he saw them as but a light affliction. Um, and most men, though, if you, if you read through 2 Corinthians, what he had endured just to preach the gospel, just to reach people with the gospel, most men would have given up real quick. Um, you know, the first time that, that someone gets whipped, gets beaten, uh, maybe the, you know, shipwrecked, most probably would have quit, but not Paul. See, Paul realized that hell was for all of eternity, and he did not want people to go there. And so his greatest desire was to reach people with the gospel, because that was their only hope. Can I ask you this morning, do you value your soul and those of your loved ones and friends? Have you been born again yet? See, life is too fleeting and fragile to put it off. Jesus died for your soul to be able to spend all of eternity in heaven and not have to go to hell for your sins. But you need to be born again before He can save your soul. Those who are born again Christians, can I ask you, have you, started, have you shared the gospel with those around you? Do you even care where they go when they die? See, everybody has an eternal soul. There's no value. It's priceless. You know, there's no amount of money in this world that can purchase a person's soul. No amount of, of giving that pers a person can do to charity. Nothing. It is priceless. And yet God gave His best so that people could have salvation. He allowed Christ to die on the cross for that. But not only is your soul and the value of it, but also rewards in heaven. After you've been born again, all that you do for Christ will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. All Christians will appear there and give an account of what they did and didn't do in their lives. Uh, turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Go back to 2 Corinthians. Should be pretty much on the same page or just about close to it. See, these are some things, these are some unseen things that, that uh, Paul, I believe, would want us to focus on. Rewards in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So every single born-again Christian is going to one day stand before Christ and give an account for what He's done. And for both good and bad. And our rewards are going to be based upon what we have done for Christ. Now again, this is after salvation. Um, before then, we can, you know, works can't earn salvation. This is stuff that's after salvation. You see, the reason why I believe Paul is trying to focus our mind upon this is that it, because he knows it's easy to live for material possessions that are all around us. Uh, I mean, even Paul had those in his team who went back to the world because the, they loved the things that the world could give them, the tangible and not the invisible and eternal. Uh, as Dina had mentioned before, it's, it's easier to bow down to a statue because we can see it than to bow down before an invisible God. You know, because we see the tangible. We say, oh, that must be God. That must represent God. And, and, and so it's easier to do that than to humble yourself and, and, try, and pray to, to someone that you can't see. Um, you know, and so it's, uh, it's easier to try to, to, to live your life for the, the things that are material and tangible than for what you cannot see. Um, I mean, even Jesus himself tells us not to pursue the wealth and the things of this world as our focus. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money, uh, but we're not supposed to fall in love with it. That's the great. That's the thing there. You know, having money and 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 material things and wealth isn't wrong, but don't let it become the focus of your life. That's where you get into trouble because look, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, it is the basis of all the evil that is in this world because look. Uh, people are, have wars because the other person has something they want. Land, uh, goods, trade, 
A lot of the wars are based upon those things. But we're supposed to lay up treasures in heaven because one day you will die and all of your possessions, all of your money in the bank will go to somebody else. As much as you try to retain and, and hold on to it, look, one of these days you're not, you're not going to be here. You're going to pass on. And everything that you had in your life is going to go to somebody else. So the value that you had in your material possessions isn't eternal. And what you work for in your life also reveals your heart's desire. Uh, hold your place here in 2 Corinthians, but go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Even Jesus was telling and, and warning us to have the right focus upon material possessions. Again, Matthew 5, 6, 7 are all about um, the kingdom. You know, eternal things. And uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus tells them here in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Because he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, people can tell where your heart is. Uh, whether your, your heart is to serve the Lord, do the, to, to um, minister to people, they can see that. Or for yourself, it's very easy to, to see the difference that um, is revealed by where the treasures of your heart is. And so the great warning here is, look, the things in this earth, they're temporary. The moth will eat all the clothes that you get. Uh, all your electronics. All right, good thing we don't try to live for batteries. Uh, they will expire. And, um, you know, we, we don't realize it, but a lot of times, look, trying to live for your life for the next console, you know, the next PlayStation, the next Xbox, um, look, one of these days that's going to pass away. You know, something better is going to come out the next year or the next two years. And... Um, It's not going to last. Um, that's just how, how this world is. That's, that's the law of thermodynamics. Everything deteriorates. That's how God has, has made this world. Everything is going to deteriorate. And so no matter how much we try to live for these things, they're not going to last. Um, so that's why we're supposed to live for eternal things, these rewards in heaven, by serving, uh, serving God, serving each other, ministering to each other. Uh, that's the things that are of value. That's the things that are going to last for all of eternity. I mean, when you go out and see someone get saved, when you tell someone the gospel and they realize that they need salvation, what you have done is you have turned someone who is with their life on their way to hell and now have changed their eternal destination and give them a new home in heaven. That's an eternal thing. That is something that is priceless and will last and lastly, this morning of, of some of these new things, or these unseen things, is a new body. Verse number 17 and 18, again, let's look at, at this portion of Scripture. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. And chapter 5 kind of... Uh, continues. He concludes his thoughts in the beginning of chapter 5 about these two verses. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, 
but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, he's talking about his body. He's talking about his physical flesh. He said, if, the, if this was, uh, we know that if our earthly house or flesh were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In other words, what he's saying is, look, our bodies are full of aches and pains. I mean, can you imagine Paul here? as he's gone through all the persecutions that he's been through, the beatings, the whippings. I mean, he's got scars upon scars. I mean, who knows what kind of lasting injuries that all of this has brought upon him. The pain that he has to live with every single day of his life. Uh, um, scholars have also said that his eyesight was, was worsening as he got older. And before he, he passed away, he had a hard time being able to read and being able to see. And so you, you look at these things and, and um, you can see he's looking forward to the day when, when his body is going to, when he dies, he's going to be given a, a brand new body someday. Um, when he, he was able to, to um, you know, have that, that hope of, the eternal, of an eternal body. Um, one of the greatest hopes that you and I can look forward to and having is our future body. See, our physical bodies, that these, our flesh is full of corruption by our sinful desires, and one day this physical shell is going to perish when we breathe our last breath. Um, that's why if you look here, I like this little thing. It says you don't, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. That's what you are. Your body isn't who you are. Your soul is who you are. Your soul just happens to have a body. And it has a spirit. And so you are your, the soul. And you're just temporarily living in this body. And when you breathe your last breath as a born-again Christian, you're going to be going to heaven, and one day you're going to have a brand new body. Uh, it's it's going to be amazing. It really is. Um, our soul and spirit will go on to heaven, but we won't get our new body, though, until the rapture happens. Uh, we may even be fortunate enough, though, to go up in the rapture and we'll never have to experience death. That's, that's something to look forward to. But this body that we're going to be able to have will be perfect. It will never age. It will never feel the physical pain that we have here. And there is something, and that, that is something to look forward to. I mean, I know some people here, they've, they've, they deal with pain every single day of their life. And they look forward to that day that, you know, they don't have to wake up in, in agony and, and have to, to get the meds and, and have to uh, do whatever they can to get the pain under control and be able to enjoy life again. One day, all that pain is going to be gone. Uh, those battling cancer, the cancer will be gone. Uh, no longer will they have to, to worry and fear uh, about death. Uh, look with me in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul deals with it more in 1 Corinthians. I mean, this new body, it really is going to be amazing. Um, now, we, to understand it completely, we, it's, it, you're not going to be able to understand it until we get there. Uh, until it happens. Um, but it's going to be a glorified body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 44. Now, he's uh, talking here um, about the natural body. It says, It is sown a natural body. This is talking about us. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So there's going to be two bodies. Um, but look here down to verse number um, 50. Verse number 50. 
Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So no matter how good we try to live our lives here on earth, our body is corrupt. There's, there's things that it, it's, you're not going to be able to go to heaven because of, of this flesh. This flesh is not going anywhere. The only place it's going is six feet under. Um, it's, not gonna, it's not eternal, this, this physical flesh that we have. It, it can't inherit in corruption. It can't become in corruption. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Meaning, we're not all going to die someday. But, he said, we all shall change. So, not, he's talking about the rapture here. And so, uh, one day, not everyone's going to die. When that rapture happens, not everyone, whoever's, who's ever able to be there alive during that time, they're not going to die. But everybody at that day will be changed. It says, for this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Uh, but, be, but thanks, sorry, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be stand, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So things that you do are not in vain. And, the, and look, um, here he's saying, look, one day we're going to get a new body. One day this flesh is going gonna, is gonna to be like a, you know, you look at, in a sense, I know it's a bad illustration, but you look at a, this, how a snake, you know, sheds its skin. And uh, one day when our body, when we breathe our last breath, we're going to shed this, this shell and we're out of here. We're gone. We're, we're, we're in heaven. And God's going to give us a new body. Now, it's going to be a little bit later when, when that rapture does happen, but we're going to have a new body. Uh, so that when we're up there, uh, you know, when we come down in the, the money reign of Christ, we're going to have a new body. It's going to be um, for all of eternity. But as we looked at just some of these, these things that are unseen, um, there's many more. I mean, I always just looked at three of them. Um, but there's other things to look forward to and strive in our life. Not the material possessions and the love of things. But can I ask you this um, morning, what has become the focus of your life? Because verse number 18 again, you know, and it's our memory verse for this month. And so it's something that we need to look at and, and ponder as we look at this, the Scripture. It says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's so easy to come focus on the things that are seen. And this morning, I, I wanted to kind of show some of the things that are unseen. A better thing to focus our life upon. Seeing people getting saved. Seeing people uh, um, escaping the fires of hell. Having rewards in heaven for all of eternity. Looking forward to that new body that God is going to give you someday. Uh, these are things that, that, are, that are encouraging to us and, and to strive for. And to have the right focus on. And uh, so in conclusion this morning, there are many unseen things to look forward to and to strive for in our lives. Look, we live in a world of things, material possessions around us. It's very easy to get consumed with them, to get the latest car, to get the latest um, whatever it is. It's so easy to get caught up into that. But that's not the focus that a Christian should have. It should be on the eternal things that will make a difference um, rather than just the, the temporary things. A Christian should live for eternal things and to lay up treasures in heaven. And above all things, God wants to, you to know Him I'm thankful for that, that He's not just distant, that He's not just um, hiding, but that He actively wants us to know Him.
that He desires that personal relationship with each one of us, that He has revealed His existence and unseen things through Him, through the creation of the world around us. He wants people to know that He is there if they just only look, if they take the time from all their busyness to focus on what God has revealed about Himself. Can I ask you this morning, have you been laying up treasures in heaven or have you been accumulating things here that will perish or be given to someone else after you're gone? Are you looking forward to the new body that you'll one day receive? But most importantly, do you value your soul and your eternity? That's the biggest question this morning. Do you value your soul? Have you made a decision yet where you're going to go? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? See, you may not get the opportunity to repent of your sin and to trust the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look, before I got saved, when I started hearing the gospel being preached and the Holy Spirit started convicting my heart, it took me a few weeks before I, I finally surrendered. Surrendered my pride and submitted myself to, uh, to the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I remember saying, you know, when that conviction came, and I said, you know what, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to deal with it right now. You know, I'll put, I'm, I'm going to wait later. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. I did that for about two or three weeks. And, um, and then one, one night, as I was listening to the message being preached, the Holy Spirit gripped my heart. He said, if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, uh, you're never going to see your sister again. because she, she was a born-again Christian. She passed away when she was 11 years old. He said, you're never going to see her, and you're going to end up in hell. And that's what broke me. I finally realized I needed salvation. Because I kept on putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. See, a lot of people put off the conviction of the Holy Spirit because they think they've got time. Oh, I, I'm, I'm too focused on what I'm, I'm enjoying in my life right now. I'll, I'll do that later. I'll do that another time. Rather than focus on, look, today is the day of salvation. See, I was reading this week a, a, a story um, in the news and um, it, was a, it was actually quite tragic. It was about a, um, a young woman who was killed, and uh, that day was the farthest thing in her mind. See, she was with her, her mom and, and her aunt, and they were on their way to the hospital, and they had pulled off to the side of the road on the expressway, on the dual carriageway, because she had received a call uh, from the hospital, and so she took it, and while she was on the phone, a lorry veered off the road, ran into the back of the car, and killed that woman instantly. That was, a, that was the farthest thing in her mind that day. She was on the hospital, or she was going to the hospital um, to see something special. And yet she never did, because she went to eternity that day. I read that, that news article and I said, how tragic, because there's so many people all around us they're living for the things of this world. They're living for um, things that are going to pass away someday. They don't have a view of eternal things. They don't care about their soul. They don't care what's going to happen to them when they die. And they think, oh, I've got time to do that decision. I've got time to, to deal with that later when I'm older. And yet, we never know when our last breath is going to be. We never know when an accident like that could happen. It was, it was, it was a great tragedy. And this was a couple of years ago that actually happened. But the fact of the matter is, we have no idea when our last day is. And so no matter what your focus may be on in your life right now, if you do not deal with your soul today, you may not have a tomorrow. And that's the important truth about it. And so I plead with you this morning, if you are not a born-again Christian, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't put it off another day. Because I don't want to read in the paper a tragedy happening and saying, I hope they're in heaven. I hope they trusted Christ as their Savior. I had an uncle that was like that. We didn't know if he was a Christian or not. 
and he got killed in a similar situation. He walked out in front of a semi, killed him instantly. We didn't even know anything about it until we read the police report. We never know how fragile, how valuable life is until it's gone. And so I plead with you this morning, don't put it away. Don't, don't, don't say, you know what, I'll just deal with it another time because there may not be another time. And that's the great truth that I'm trying to, to get you to understand that, look, your soul has a great value. It's one of those unseen things that we need to focus on to make sure that our soul is right with God. Why gamble with your soul? And so this, lastly this evening, or this morning, sorry, what will your focus be for your life? What will it be? Is it going to be on the temporary things, the things in material? Or will it be on these unseen things? The things of God. The things that God has revealed uh, through His Word that we need to strive for and to, and to work for and to labor for. And so I just want to, for you guys to, to, to understand, look, there's a greater thing to, to live for than just the temporary things. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. He's trying to tell the Corinthian church to, to have the right focus on these things. And uh, let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. Father, I do ask that, Lord, you would bless the message this morning. Lord, it, it is so easy to focus on the, the things that are scary. I mean, look, we, we, it's around us. You know, it's, it's a part of our lives, you know. Uh, we understand that. And we understand that there are some eternal things that are, are of greater value that we need to focus on. And we need to, to make sure that um, we're just not ignoring them. And um, Lord, I, I do thank you that you have purchased salvation for all people. I thank you, Lord, that you looked upon our soul as quite valuable, as precious, um, that needed to be redeemed, and that you redeemed it yourself. And uh, just thank you so much for that, Lord. And I just ask this morning that you would, again, speak to hearts, Lord. And if there's anyone here that's not saved, God, I just ask that you would um, speak to their heart, Lord. Don't let today be a day where they just say, no, no, not in, I'll, just, I'll do it later. Lord, God forbid that something might happen, right? Like, I don't wish that upon anybody, that you would give them another opportunity, but we can't risk it. There's, not, there's no reason to gamble away our eternity. Father, I just pray that you would, again, just stir our hearts, Lord, to reach this, this town, this, this village with the gospel, Lord. There's so many people who are living for this world. They have no idea what eternity is. And Lord, help us to reach them and show them that there are some eternal things that they need to see and to focus on and that they would get saved. Lord, we do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.